from the beautiful Art House Studios in Nashville, Tennessee, this is The Pivot, stories of people who've made a change. Welcome to The Pivot. My name is Andrew Osinga, and my guest today is my friend Kelly Corday. I met Kelly almost exactly a year ago. Uh, we started new jobs at the same company on the same day. Now, it's an open office plan, and so our little desk areas were right next to each other, and we would chat. Kelly had been a big name as a Christian radio DJ in St. Louis, where she'd fallen in love and started her family. Then about five years ago, they learned that her husband had cancer, and four years ago, they lost him. Now, I learned this over the months that Kelly and I worked side by side, but that time came and went pretty quickly, as Kelly soon moved into a new radio DJ role here in Nashville. So this conversation covers a lot of ground. We talk about grief. We talk about family. We talk about what it looks like when you're in a job that's not right, and you know it from day one, uh, which happened to be the job where she sat right next to me. And uh, judging by a lot of the emails I get, I think some of you might know that feeling pretty well. Uh, but a couple things before we get to that, I want to share an amazing letter that I got this week uh, from a listener named Gabrielle. This just blew my mind. She wrote, Dear Andrew, I have followed your podcast from the beginning. I saw a post about it on the rabbit room and thought it sounded amazing, and I was right. The conversations you have are full of so much honesty, vulnerability, and truth while discussing some very difficult topics that I look forward to each new episode each week. I just finished listening to your conversation with Trillia Newbell, and oh, I cannot tell you how much my heart needed to hear it. I was literally driving away from a counseling session where my husband and I were trying to brainstorm ways to help our teenage foster daughter who had attempted to run away last night and has been in crisis for days. Hearing her talk about how you might not get what you want the way you want it, for instance, becoming a mother, but God is still good, and there could still be an instance of that dream that comes to be. Adoption, she said with so much joy in her voice, fostering. I was on the highway, so I didn't cry then, but well, I am now. I've wanted to be a mother since as long as I can remember. It was always a given. Then at 16, I was diagnosed with PCOS, a condition that makes it difficult to conceive. Difficult, but not impossible. When I met my husband and told him, he didn't even pause to think. He just said, well, I've always wanted to adopt. And that was the moment I fell in love. We've been married for seven years, and he is my constant proof that there is a good God who knows best way better than I do. God led us to foster care, and about six months after getting licensed, we got an emergency call about some kids that met literally none of our specifications. But God said jump, so we jumped, and now it's three years later, we're heading towards adoption, and we are beside ourselves exhausted. I have straight up told God that this is harder than I can manage, and he keeps saying, good, that's the point. When I look directly at what's in front of me, it's very easy to feel discouraged. But when I look in the rear view, I can see how far we've come as a family. God is doing a work in me, for sure but he's also honoring me with the chance to be part of my daughter's redemption stories. Week after week, I hear your conversations with people looking in the rear view at their lives and seeing the hand of a kind father, and it inspires me to do the same. Seeing his mercies, hearing of his work in others' lives builds onto the case that he will show up for us tomorrow. At first, when you signed off, now go do something awesome, I felt intimidated, like there's no way I can live up to what your guests are up to. But lately, I hear you say that, and I look at my life and I think, I am, Andy. I really am. Thank you for the work you put in and the vulnerability you give. And would you pass along to Trillia that mine is a transracial family, and her book was like a gift when I stumbled onto the sentence, Some people have straight hair, like mommy, I tell my little. And some people have beautiful curly hair, like you. 
She loves it. Peace, Gabrielle. Whew, I, I, I don't even know what to say. You are doing something awesome, and thank you for sharing your story with us. Yeah, this is real stuff that we talk about, guys. It's real. And I'm so thankful that you guys are here and listening, and we get to do this. I'm excited for you to hear my friend Kelly's story. But before we get to that, uh, I was thinking earlier today about a memory that I have from my time in the band Cademan's Call. I played with them from 2002 to 2009, got to have some really amazing experiences with those guys. In 2005, we boarded a plane to Ecuador. Some of my favorite memories, Randall Goodgame and I getting stuck in our hotel room because an alpaca was standing right outside of our door. And how do you move an alpaca? Still don't know. Uh, We got to record some songs with local musicians playing pan flutes and hand drums. It was so awesome. Uh, But I have two favorite memories, and I want to share one this week. I want to share the other coming up. So we're in Ecuador, and we get welcomed into the home of a mother and her eight sons. Her husband had been lost at war many years before, and she was left to raise the boys, and there was no one to provide for them, and there was not any economic opportunity around. All eight of these boys eventually became sponsored by Compassion. There they were fed, they were taught to read and write in Spanish and English. A few of the older boys had already graduated by that time, and now they had young families of their own, and their kids would not be sponsored because these young men were given the care and skills and opportunity to begin to lift themselves and their families out of poverty. But this mother, though her children were doing so much better than they were, did not by any means have a lot. It was a tiny little home that sat on a cold and windy hillside, and she fed us a hero's meal, which we did not deserve, and it was a little bit of corn and a fried guinea pig. This was a big deal. She was telling us her story of the boys and compassion through an interpreter, She told us of the clothes they'd been given, the education, the medical care, and the food. But the greatest thing they had been given at the Compassion Project? Jesus. This woman, with tears in her eyes in this little ramshackle house, said, Compassion has given us everything, but Jesus, Jesus is all I need. Randall wrote a song about this. It's called All I Need, I Did Not Catch Her Name. It's on the Cademan's Share the Well album, and it's one of the best songs I've ever heard. It captures the moment perfectly. And here's the deal. When compassion enters the picture of a community in poverty, it doesn't come in like a white American savior. It partners with a local church. Through these churches, sponsors' dollars go one-to-one with the children that they sponsor. And that's my other favorite memory from this trip, but I'll tell you that next week. These kids get education and medical help. They get food and clothes and all these good, vital, and necessary things. But most importantly, they get to meet Jesus. And Jesus is all we need. Sponsorship costs $38 a month. That is less than what our family just spent on pizza tonight. Please visit Compassion.com slash The Pivot for more information. Please use that link. Compassion is partnering with us to help bring you The Pivot. And when you visit through that link, Compassion.com slash The Pivot, it helps the podcast. And far, far more importantly, it helps to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. So please visit Compassion.com slash The Pivot and sponsor a child today. And now here's my conversation with my friend, Kelly Corday. Well, thank you for being here. I'm so glad that we get to do this. this is so I am fun. honored to be here. This is cool to be on the other side of the microphone. It's crazy. Right, because you are a professional interviewer. I was trying to prepare for this interview and realized 
I can't do that because you're interviewing me. <laughs> so this is all you. You just ask away. I love it. That's awesome. Well, I would love to hear how you met your husband, Dan. Okay. I like to tell people in Christian circles that I met my husband, Dan, at a music venue and we were checking out the same band. But the truth is I met him at a nightclub. Oh, so saucy. We were checking out the same band. Um, we met, it's funny because you know, those stories and movies where people are like, Oh, we met and we just knew mm -hmm. we did really like, it's crazy. I was 19 years old. So I was just this kid in college and not looking for a relationship, not especially a marriage, but I ended up getting married while I was in college. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you met at a nightclub, a music venue a nightclub. Okay. Yes. What was the band? The band was actually canceled. The band we went to see, both of us went there to see a band that was actually rescheduled, which I can't remember the name of it. It was a it was an 80s band, so it was okay. a dumb, crazy... Hair metal. Believe it or not, I still have the little nightclub card from that night mm -hmm. where it listed the bands. Oh, Toy Romeo. Toy Romeo. Toy Romeo. Toy Romeo. That sounds like an 80s St. band. St. Louis band, long hair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Toy Romeo was canceled that night, which then meant we got to have a second date because we went there, each of us separately met that night and realized Toy Romeo wasn't, we didn't care about Toy Romeo at that point, but the next night they were playing. So we got to go out. It would really officially be our first date where we planned to be together. So, so, the, yeah. so you met one night and then you came back to see the man together? And we were inseparable from really? then. On, like we were together every day. My hmm. best friend. Yeah. So, so you were 19 then. How old were you when you got married? I was 20. Wow. So, you so guys... about a year and a half later, got married. Yep. Wow. Okay. And um, and that was in St. Louis. In St. Louis. Now, are you from St. Louis? Originally from the St. Louis area. Yeah. Okay. On the Illinois side, the east side, as we call it, which is where we met. We met on, on the Illinois side. All right. So how did you get into radio? Did you start out in radio? No. I, I never would have thought I would be in radio. Really? No. No, I started off in public relations, marketing, writing, quickly got bored of, I was writing for Ralston Purina in St. Louis. And so I was writing about dog food, which is super exciting to have a job right out of college. And I am so grateful that I did. But after about a year, I was like, I'm writing. How about much can dog you write about dog food? Hey, there are so many ways to describe dog food. I'm telling you. <laughs> You know, um, and I can't even try the dog food. They would have you take your dog food home and let your dog try it so you could get like a, you know. So you could like get a review. Inspiration, yes. No. Yes. But. That's awesome. About a year into that, I realized I just felt like, you know, we're meant for so much more. You know, everything is a season in my mind. So I ended up producing a television show that they hired me because I was a writer. So I would write the scripts for on set, go out and produce like on the street stuff. Love that job. But then our third child came around. Jonathan was born. And I, I always credit Jonathan for getting me into radio hmm. because he was born. And I realized with a newborn and a one and a half year old and a five year old, there was no way to do this job. And they were like, what are you going to do? And I said, just something where I don't have to travel so much because I was constantly on the road. And they said, well, the radio station that was an affiliate is hiring. And I said, there's absolutely no way I can do radio. It's hmm. not what I do. And then I went in there and even told the people that this is not what I do, but they hired me. So To be like a, a, on the air? On the air, yes. 
my best friend said, can you really do that? And I said, no, I really can't, but I'm just going to go do it. And so I did. And <laughs> it was pretty bad. I mean, it was pretty, yeah. What kind uh, of station was it? It was a tiny Christian, it was a, two stations in one building, okay. a Christian station that aired the talk shows that we produced that I, where I came from, the television radio talk shows, and then a classical music station, neither of which I quite fit into at that okay. time. But I was on my, like, I had just become a believer just a year or two before, and so um, it really was a part of my faith walk to to be able to talk on a Christian radio station, a tiny AM Christian radio station. I played hymns mm. on Saturday and Sunday morning. That was my job. At what point did you transition into like feeling like, all right, I'm a I'm a radio host, DJ. This is what I do. Did, did that happen pretty quick? Or? It did. I mean, I would say within a year or so of being at that little AM station, I was ready to do more. Mm-hmm. And there were stations across town, mainstream stations that were hiring. Again, don't know why they would have taken me on, but they did. I didn't even have an appropriate demo. I had to kind of make a demo that would sound like what I would sound like on their station. So you have to pit, you have to pitch a demo of you on the air. Hey, this is Kelly and this is yes. the new Justin Timberlake song. Right, exactly. Exactly. I had to say and this here's Matchbox 20 and I and the first thing they asked me was you made this, didn't you, for this job interview? And I said, "Absolutely. I'm playing hymns over here. I've tried to <laughs> make you a demo." And he's like, "Okay." And then they hired me, which was crazy too. So radio has been a crazy journey for me, but I love it. I love that you know, unlike any other, you know, medium, we get to connect with people in such an intimate way. You know, from doing this podcast, there is this intimate connection with people. And I love that. And I love that that community is created out of that. And so I'm in Christian radio now, and that is just the most beautiful thing because, you know, there are, we have so many hurting people out there and we, we are this connected world we live in where we're, we're all looking at our phones constantly, but we're disconnected from people. So I love radio. Mm. Well, okay. So how, how long did you do the mainstream thing? Were you, was that like a top 40 station? It was, I was started at a modern AC, modern which AC. we didn't even, we don't even have those anymore. Okay. It was Weezer, all the way for everything from Weezer oh, and those kinds to. of yeah. songs, right over to you know Nickelback, went over to a yeah. hot AC. Mainly, what I was doing now in hindsight, I see what I was doing was learning how radio is supposed to be done hmm. because mainstream radio does it so well. Really, they understand there's a listener and that we need to have them listening. Sometimes in Christian radio, we get all about doing God's work, which is what we're doing. But, you know, having some of the business part of it, too, and understanding how to reach people, mm-hmm. you know, how to best connect. And so I learned a lot of that, you know, yeah. learned about programming music for radio while I was in mainstream. And uh, ultimately, though, could not be behind the music I was playing eventually. Hmm. You know, trying to describe, I remember, you know, um, playing a song. I, so I played a song from All American Rejects. It was pretty, they were pretty new at the time. And then I was middays on a hot AC radio station, went after school to pick up the kids. And a mom at the school walked up to me and she said, hey, I just want to let you know, I really love that song you played earlier today by All American Rejects. And I was like, okay. And it's a little 
parochial school, you know, a little Lutheran school my kids go to. I knew she was going through a divorce. And the song was so vengeful. It was just so... Hmm. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, I love just cranking that up after school with the boys in the car. And I, my heart sank. And I was like, no, hmm. you don't, don't listen to my show. And when I didn't say that out loud, of <laughs> course, but in my heart, I was like, don't, don't do that. Like that song, the song was called Gives You Hell. And it was about like, you know, I hope that, you know, while I'm moving on and I hope your life is not great anymore. And that my, it's just not a great, not a great message. <laughs> and yeah. so that's when I began to realize that what I was doing was connecting people, but maybe not always in the best way. Hmm. Yeah. So then how'd you, how'd you transition out of that? Um, well, I eventually was escorted out of that job because <laughs> I think when you times. begin to <laughs> not be able to wrap your mind around what you do, eventually it begins to show, yeah. you know? And so when it came my show was well rated, everything was great. But, um, what happened was two stations in the building were transitioning. And so it was between me and another person who was all about playing the pop music and, you know, between the two stations, she became the one who, you know, kept, kept the position and I was escorted out. But in that time I had begun to listen to Christian radio. There's a new radio station in town. Joy FM, St. Louis had just gotten this new signal. Everyone could suddenly hear this Christian radio station and, I had begun to listen to it and begun to kind of chat with them a little bit. I will. I went to one of their events and got to meet some of the people at the radio station. Within a week, I was at the Christian radio station in town, loving it. And that's still what I do, still in Christian radio, still love it. And you were at Joy FM for a long time. Yes. I was there for eight and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, through that time, I mean, I was only there a few months and my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And that was a journey that, you know, I lived out on the air. I kind of had to. I mean, I was gone a week and he was in the hospital and they were trying to figure out what was wrong. And he was diagnosed with lung cancer, which is bizarre and such a wild story to be. He was 42, diagnosed with a kind of cancer that smokers get. Hmm. And he was a non-smoker and a healthy guy. So that was a journey I lived out on the air. And um, I think, and while that was difficult, it was helpful. It, a lot of people would say, well, it helps me to hear that encouragement. Like, no, it was helping me, yeah. really. So, yeah. So how, when when he got sick, like, how did your life change? I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty massive... Yeah. Everything changes. I mean, he was kind of (laughs) mad. You Mm. know, I'm 42. I'm healthy. I'm at the gym four times a week. And um, here I am with cancer. And so your life gets turned upside down with a diagnosis like that. And there's no way that it can't. I have never relied on my faith in the way I did in that time and began to rely on community more than ever. I talk about community and connecting people a lot, but I needed it. Just like I said about living it out on the air, you know, listeners coming back at me. I mean, it was encouragement both ways. It really was. And we walked through that together and Dan learned to, to accept community around him. You know, guys can be, I mean, they can isolate. You're a guy, you probably know when you have a problem, you sort of don't want to tell anybody. Well, there was no way not to talk about this Hmm. as bizarre as it was. Yeah. So, 
How old were your kids when, when he got sick, when it started? My two younger children were in middle school, okay. at fifth grade and seventh grade, and my oldest was in high school. Okay. Yeah. Um, Graduating, actually. He was just about to graduate, so, yeah. Okay, yeah. got it. When you got that news and you take a week off and you're, you're he's in the hospital, you're dealing with it, and then eventually you go back to work and you're in front of a microphone and lots of people are listening, did you think before talking about it, like, did you think, do I want to share this? Do I want to keep this to myself? Because I can imagine a lot of people would have not started to talk about that on the on the air. It's hard. Why did you do that? Well, I didn't do it as immediately as you think. It wasn't okay. like this thing happened and I was able to Monday just morning, talk about it. Yeah. The truth is, really, through the illness and even into the loss and beyond, until I could see where God worked in it, until I could see or had a story about, look at what happened, look at this miracle, look at how God has delivered us, those were the stories I told. Mm. I didn't just go on the air and say, you know, well, that was a crappy week. <laughs> you know, I spent the week in the hospital and there's something really wrong with my husband and we just figured out that it's this terrible diagnosis. When he was diagnosed... The diagnosing doctor said, you will not live through this. Really? So he was to go through the remainder of his life knowing he was dying. But the way God lined up people and arranged this, you know, amazing support around us, doctors who would be the ones who would figure out the exact kind of cancer it was to give him this whole first year of diagnosis was really a pill-a-day treatment, even though he knew he was going to die. It was a pill-a-day. Did he feel different? Well, he felt like a guy who knew he was going to die, you know, so mm. that kind of, um, that's hard. There was a lot of emotional stuff in that first year. Uh, but the, the but physically the, it hadn't the, started The side to... effects, I mean, he felt different. That's why he went to the doctor. He was having trouble breathing. Okay. You know, but once they got that initial diagnosis and initial symptoms under control, that first year was actually kind of beautiful. And I can look back and, and count the miracles. And those were the things I counted on the air. Hmm. You know, when I could say, you would not believe how we found this cardiopulmonary surgeon. It was by happenstance. It wasn't, though. You know, God placed hmm. the right people around us and in our lives and the right nurses, the right doctors, the right church in the craziest ways, you know, the church family that got us through, carried us through who were still, I mean, even though we've moved across the country, we're still deeply connected with that church. We found because Dan had his first chemo treatment and we were on our way to church without dad for the first time in ever. And we were running late because we always do. And we're going <laughs> past this little church near our house. And my daughter in her eighth grade snarkiness said, well, if we went to church there, we'd already be there and we'd be on time. And I'm like, okay, I hang a left and we go in. <laughs> we end up finding this family. They, were, mm. they are still our family that carried us through the hardest part of the treatments and wow. the loss. The ones who showed up two weeks after Dan was gone. He, you know, he battled for four and a half years. Showed up with, here, 
here, eat this yogurt and bananas to me at work because like I just was not like grief hits you and you know, you need people to tell you how to function again. And the, this was the church family that did that. And we are still, they are our best friends, you know, that, wow. you know, um, I can't imagine, but those are the miracles that we talk about. We can't control the outcome. You know, terminal cancer is terminal cancer. What do we do with it though? You know, that's really the question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you do with it? What did you do with it? Well, you take it day by day. That's something you have to learn to do. I still fall into worry and anxiety. How can I fall into worry and anxiety over the little things in life when I can I can look back hmm. and see that in a four-year cancer journey and a loss that's been, it's been four and a half years since we lost him too, when you see God carrying you through this heavy stuff, how can I be worried about a job? How can I be worried about the little things that we worry about, you know, oh, where's my career going? What's happening here? How can I, how can I not trust a God who carried us through that with my kids? You know, they're young adults now. Now yeah. it's really scary. You think potty training is scary? You think <laughs> the first day of middle school is scary? You wait until they're making their own decisions and you're like, Lord, please protect them. Hmm. How can you not trust a God who arranged things in a way, you know, through diagnosis, illness, chemo, pneumonia, things that like, oh my gosh, you know, so much. And then the loss, put these people around us, put, but, you know, I mean, the fact that we're talking today, I count all of this a miracle. Hmm. So how can I not trust a God who's carried us through and carries you through and carries me through with the little stuff of life? Yeah. But you still do, right? You still mm -hmm. you still do worry about those things. They, of course you do. It's like they're still there. Yeah. Isn't it crazy how we can lose just perspective all the time? Yeah, you got to remember. I, I think Facebook is amazing <laughs> because everyone will say, "Hey, you should journal." Not not so much because you need to journal, you know, but you need to be able to look back hmm. and see. And I'm terrible at it. And I tried journaling, but I can I get those little time hop reminders on Facebook. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I remember being so worried in that moment. And how mm -hmm. is this going to work out? And you know, how will I go forward without my husband? I yeah. mean, he was my best friend. We were married for almost 24 years. Wow. How do you do that? Well, you do it day by day, you know, yeah. it's still hard some days. You know, I still have days where it feels like the grief is as new as it was four years ago. You know, it feels like a fresh wound, but um, we continue to step forward and you get through that day and you look for God working. Hmm. And he always is working. That's what's so amazing is that if you pay attention, you see it, you yeah. know? That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. So talk me through the realities of life when you, he gets that terminal diagnosis, but it's going to be years. Does he, does he keep working? You, you keep working. Like, does your life kind of stay the same? Does it just, what does it look like when you get up on a Monday morning? It stays the same. I mean, he was determined to have it stay the same so much so that there were moments where when he got really sick and there was no way you couldn't face it. And I mean, that was three, three years in when he really? was diagnosed, they said, you'll either live two weeks. You'll not survive this. You have 
two weeks if you don't survive what's oh happening gosh. right now, which got him the diagnosis. We had been skiing in Utah and he was struggling to breathe. The altitude had forced the diagnosis, really. Wow. You know, so you have two weeks to seven years. You know, what are you gonna do with it? So most of it was an emo- facing the emotional reality of that. You know, he would get a great his treatments treatments worked really well at first because he was young and healthy and strong and we had the best doctors, you yeah. know. Um, but you know, six weeks in with that pill a day genetic therapy, his cancer reversed by ninety five percent. Oh wow. I'm over here celebrating. You're like, we got out of it. We this made it through. This is amazing. 95%? Yeah. That's awesome. While he's looking down at the ground and he's like, I still have cancer. I'm still going to die. Hmm. You know? But he kept working. And really, it wasn't until that those final six months where I had to become, it's not what you want to do as a wife, but I had to become kind of the leader in the family. I had to communicate with his bosses because he wasn't, you know, his pride was kicking in and he was mm. going to keep going. And they were like, what's going on with him? I'm like, well, you know, he's dying. Did he not tell you? No, we thought he was going to get better. Oh my. Yeah. So he was determined to keep working like mm. until the last moment and really up until the last few months he did. And I kept working. Of course I had to, you know, my job with three kids, super important to keep your career going, knowing your future as a single mom. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, everything, everything felt different though. Things do feel different when you know that your death is imminent. You know, I mean, there is no way for him to not face each day differently and for me to face them differently too, with new perspective for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And are you, you sharing all this on the radio over the course of these four, four and a half years? Yes. In, Again, in appropriate ways. Sure, yeah, yeah. Not just sharing Not just the like... story like, well, today we went to chemo, but more like, you know, there is this amazing nurse that's in my husband's life now because of this cancer. Mm-hmm. And here are the miracles about this person, like the fact that we she gets to be in our lives and we're in hers and things like that. Yeah. You know, when the cancer is reversed by 95%. Come on. Yeah. That's a miracle. You're going to shout it from the rooftop. Right. Yeah. yeah, I am anyway. I mean, Dan may have still been moping and kind of mad because he had cancer still. But to me, you know, these are all miracles. So where I saw God working along the way, that's what I talked about. You know? Yeah. What kind of responses were you getting from people? It's crazy, but somehow it's super encouraging to people. I remember asking one of my best friends, because it's it's a conundrum to me. I'm like, I'm on the air, and I'm talking about Dan having cancer, and I'm trying to point out all the positives. I still don't see how people are even encouraged by this. And my friend said, well, I'm encouraged that you're not curled up in fetal position sucking your thumb. Yeah, <laughs> so, right? Like, And I said, oh, is that it? Like, So I think when we get up and we keep walking, you know, and we can keep pointing back to God and say, you know, if God can carry me through this, if I could get out of bed this morning, sometimes it was hard, you know. Sometimes it's still hard. Sometimes I still have days where I'm like, whew, I can't believe this is my life. Like, this is mm. so different. This is so different than I ever thought my life would be. Um, 
but we keep going and somehow that inspires people. And that's what I would hear back from listeners. Like that's inspiring, Hmm. you know, the strength. And I'm like, well, you may think that that sounds strong. It's not strength. I mean, I didn't give this to myself. If I could just have a pass and get out of this right now, I would. And Hmm. isn't that pretty wimpy? You know, (laughs) the most amazing thing to me though, and it's regarding that choice is something that Dan said when he was really, really sick. He was, um, he was in bed from, uh, Thanksgiving of 2014 until he passed away in January of 2015. And so in bed on hospice, I'm working from home, which is limited when you're on air doing the music and do whatever I can. And he had become in that four years, four or so years, a different person. Hmm. Nothing changes you like knowing that this is it, right? Yeah. People get super real in those moments. And he said, um, you know, I mean, he was ready to go. Hmm. He had just been in bed for a while. He said, you know, I wouldn't trade this for health. I mean, I must have had a look on my face like, what in the world? Why are you saying that? And he said, I wouldn't trade this for health because of who I've become as a husband and a dad. You know, who I was before is not who I am now. And he he was right. Like who my kids got Mm. to experience as a dad, the wisdom that they have attained. He thought that was more valuable than him sticking around, really. Really? He did. And it still baffles me that he could say that out loud. I don't know that I could, you know. I would be like, hey, if I could trade this, I'd be hang out here with you guys and be with you. But in his mind, the transition and and who you know and just who God made him to be throughout that and having to face his own death made him a better person. Hmm. And he got honest about things he hadn't been honest about with not only his kids but his family, you know, his his parents, his brother. I mean. He planned his own celebration service and made the whole thing about his ministry. I'm like, hey, you go. Like that <laughs> you can he picked the songs. Mm. You know, he made it about leading families and he wanted to, you know, leave that with guys, especially like, you know, honoring your wife and leading your family well, which is something he struggled with. And I think all guys do. This world doesn't really set yourself up, set set you up really well for that, right? It's a struggle. And so who Mm. he became as a dad and who he became as a husband, he didn't want to trade. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So when did he pass away? Is it four, four and a half years? Mm -hmm. So it's been about a little little over four years now. Wow. Yeah. What did the next six months, a year look like for you and your your kids? I mean, you you knew this was coming, Mm -hmm. but still... It's shocking when it actually happens, right? No one can prepare you for that. I thought I was prepared. We had four and a half years to think about this. Yeah. You know, we knew everything was in place. We did everything we were supposed to do. We knew it was coming. I had great people supporting me every day, but it was dark. I mean, that's dark. And you have to just go ahead and embrace that. This is dark. This is not what I saw for my life. I mean... It took me about a week after he was gone to really realize he was gone because you continue Mm. to do for them, at least in that first week, you know, you're planning a 
a service, you're getting the songs out there. Yeah, they're still present still, right? They're still present. You're still doing. I read recently something about grief. I don't think it's the totality of grief, but it's a big part of it. Grief is is this love that you have for this person that you can no longer express. Mm. And it was about a week out. I came home from church a week and a day later after he was gone. And for the first time, I walked into our house and it was empty. Kids were off doing their own thing. It was me and that house and a dog who was asleep, I think. And I walked through the house and I could not even believe. I broke down for the first time. Mm. I cannot believe. And I and I questioned God, why? Like, why is Dan not here? You know, those are grief moments you can't avoid. Like, I could have tried to set that aside, you know, and avoid it. And, and I think a lot of that does happen. But those are the parts you have to walk through. God's not afraid of your questions. Why? You know, God's not afraid to hear you angry at him. And, you know, there were moments like that just beyond the diagnosis and just beyond the loss where I was like, God, I can't even, I can't believe you would allow this to happen. You know, how could you allow this to happen? And so I don't think he's afraid to hear our anger. I don't think, you know, when we lash out, I remember when Dan was first diagnosed, I threatened God. I sat in a, and again, it was the first time I got alone after he was diagnosed. And I was sitting in a parking lot at a grocery store by myself. And I broke down and I said, I can't believe you would put me at a Christian radio station in front of a microphone, no less. And then you would allow this to happen. What am I supposed to say about you? Hmm. And, you know, you hear people talking about hearing from God and never in my life had I heard from God. And, and sometimes when people tell me God told them something, I'm like, You're, that's weird. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, God told you a strange thing. Yes. Um, but in that moment, I felt this crazy reassurance that made no sense. Hmm. And because it, it, I'm telling God, you know what? Maybe I'm going to leave this Christian radio station. Maybe I'm going to go over and work for the mainstream station again. Mm -hmm. I can do that. I can go work for a country station. I don't have to say nice things about you. I was mad, you know, and um, I just felt this crazy reassurance and it was, I've got you. And you know what? That's all that matters, right? Mm. Isn't that all that matters? Because if our focus is eternal, what matters is, you know, what, what are we doing now? How is God carrying us through and how are we telling that story? That's important to me to tell that story. And you did. You told that story on the air. Mm -hmm. so, and I'm continuing to tell it, you know, I mean, in a different way to a different crowd. Um, but I can't not tell it. I thought I was done telling the story. I was so sick of talking about it. Hmm. Tired of going to that same grocery store and having somebody see me and say, you're the girl whose husband passed away, right? Oh, uh, yeah. You know? Because then you re-grieve with that person every time. Even though you're okay, you're like, whew, here we go. Hmm. Yes. You almost want to tell them that you're sorry for their loss. Because they're still, you know, you meet somebody you've never met who knows the story, and then they're, re they're grieving for you. Yeah. And that's sweet. It's a sweet moment. But after a while, you know, I kind of thought I was done telling the story. But now I'm just at a different radio station telling it in a different way.
mm. the different perspective. I'm a single person yeah. who never expected to be single at this age. So yeah. Yeah. Well, you you talked. You, I mean, we've talked about that before. That mm-hmm. you were like on the air talking about like, well, I'm about to go on a date. Like, <laughs> right. like yeah. whoa, this is not the Christian radio go, I'm used to. You can't go on a date. <laughs> You're the girl whose husband passed away. Yeah, I know. I know. And yeah, so there was some of that because we grieve, I'm in my grief every day, you know, but a person who only thinks about you twice a year, they're not caught up to you yet. Yeah. And so you, you, and, can... and you are the, you are only the person that is that one particular detail. Of, mm-hmm. they That's all they know you. about you. Yeah. Right. And so you could be two and three years out and considering going on a date with somebody and they're like, well, you can't do that. I, I'm not caught up to you yet. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? That's understandable. People are so well-meaning and so, so kind. I I think you're I, more gracious than I would be. Well, I try to see the good <laughs> and, you know, and, or where are they coming from in this? But yeah, yeah, I have, I have done a little bit of dating. It's hard out there. Let me just say, I don't wish that on anybody because it's definitely not the same as the night I went to that music mm. venue, nightclub, and met my husband and we knew, you know, mm. it's a different world. And so, yeah, exercise dating with caution, but yeah, get out there. We're, we're not meant to be alone. We're just not built for that. Yeah. So I met you because you and I started jobs at a company the same day. Yes. And I still work there. And you don't. <laughs> but yeah. And uh, no, and I think... Uh, I was really encouraged and inspired by the way that you navigated that. I'd, I'd love to, if you're comfortable about it, I'd love to talk about what brought you to Nashville and what it was like to take a job that maybe wasn't the thing that you, uh, that really was right. Yes. I, again, I thought I had told this story so much and had begun to be identified as the girl whose husband passed away that I felt like I was done. You know, I felt like, okay, God, I have told the story enough yet. I'm so tired of talking about it. So when the record label that you're talking about reached out to me and I was back in St. Louis, they said, hey, what would you think about doing some radio work for a record label, worship artists? You know, I'm like, that that's interesting. Let me think about that. Knowing my daughter was moving to Nashville too, she was going to get married and, and move to Nashville it seemed to make a whole lot of sense. You know what? I'm thankful for it. I'm, I, you know, I mentioned to you before, I've never worked with a nicer group of people, kind, um, flexible. I mean, just the coolest group of people, but I knew, and this is just between the two of us. Yeah. I knew day one Hmm. that I was trying to speak a language I didn't speak and that I wasn't doing something that I was meant to do. Hmm. And that is to continue to tell that story, you know, of yeah. who God is, you know. It's told through worship music, but I wasn't telling the story that I still had unfolding hmm. within me that that I can tell on the air. You know, I can I can talk about the things God is still doing despite the fact that we have a life we didn't expect to have. <laughs> I'm in a city I didn't expect to be in. Um it's all kind of crazy and kind of whirlwind, but there's not been a moment where I haven't felt carried through it. And yeah, so we're at this record label, mm-hmm. and you and I are sitting right across yeah, from we, each other. Yeah, the, new, I the rem- newbies. I remember the day you zeroed in on me, and you said, you're not used to working in this kind of environment, are you? And I was like, no, 
I feel like I can't, I mean, I'm doing it. I'm doing, I mean, I want to do a good job always, mm-hmm. but, um, but I knew I wasn't, I wasn't able to quite understand a lot of what was going on there nor wrap my mind around it. And I also knew I was missing something that was really important to me. Hmm. And it was a part of my purpose to, you know, if God doesn't just give you these crazy things and an ability and a microphone to talk about them for you to say, you know what, I'm done. I think there was a little bit of um, rebellion in me that that brought me to Nashville. Really? It was, I do. I feel like, you know, but at the same time, I am a different person here than I was back there. And I'm probably better equipped. The time that I had at the record label was hard for me. I was new to town, homesickness, depression. I was anxious. I was anxious about what I was doing and I was anxious about what I wasn't doing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But that, uh, that will change you, you know? And so I left behind a lot of stuff in St. Louis that probably was prohibiting me from really moving forward and even continuing to tell the story. You know, mm. just, I was comfortable. I had some bad habits. I was dating, not the right people. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, so I have gone through some change. Mm-hmm. I mean, your show is called, you know, The Pivot. I've been pivoting a lot, but yeah. but um, I would say I've come out on the other end better. God has, it was a refinement, I think, that he was bringing me through. Yeah. Well, and all your kids live here now? Two of your kids two live of, here? Two of my three yeah. live here. I have an Air Force son in Phoenix. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't, you can't move him here. I, I'll try. I'll try to get him close to me. <laughs> I value having family close. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's pretty amazing that you guys all kind of ended up here mm-hmm. about at the exact same time, right? Yes. Yeah. On the exact same day. Yeah. Really? Yes. My daughter got married on a Sunday and on Monday morning, yeah, a Sunday evening wedding, but we had everything ready to go. Monday morning, we packed up. She and her husband moved to their apartment here in Nashville, and my youngest son and I moved to our apartment. For real? I did not know that. Next day, yeah. That's quite a honeymoon. Yeah, well, then, yeah, they got settled (laughs) in. They did go off on a little honeymoon in the mountains and came back, but, but yeah. Wow. It's been a crazy last year. Has it been a year? Has it been? It's not even been a year. Not even been a year. Nope. Wild. It feels like two or three years. Yeah, I bet. I can it's imagine. It's been a lot. It's a lot of life. It's been, yes. It's been a couple of jobs and some major, again, refinement. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know you and I had a number of conversations kind of offline as we're just figuring out like, okay, we're both trying to get used to this new gig that we're in. Mm-hmm. And you're feeling like, yeah, I don't I don't think this is probably the right thing. And I think everybody is kind of quietly like, hey, that's okay. Like, you got to do what you got to do. You they know? were I hope so they were. great. Everybody, you were great too. I mean, I, the conversations oh, like, yeah. there were incredible. <laughs> but I could, t- I remember it was only a few months in you were like, yeah, people, radio stations have been calling me and offering me jobs. And, and I knew, I mean, immediately I'm like, oh yeah, well then you're going to, that's clearly what you were built to do. But they were all over the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was like, well, I don't want to, l- I just moved here. My kids are here. We've lost a lot. I can't leave them. I remember that. that I remember having yes. that conversation with you. Right, and a lot of people would say, "Okay, Kelly, your kids are like twenty and twenty-two now. The ones that you have close, don't you think it's time to like you can go wherever you want?" And I can. I could. The thing is, we have lost so much. I value family. Our family has dwindled. Yeah. You know, when you have loss, 
you have residual loss too. You lose con- my in-laws. Hmm. You know, they were there when my kids were little. As they got older, not so much. When Dan got sick, that was hard on them. So we've lost more than just Dan. We've lost a lot of family, you know. So wow. you find your family. We found our church family. You, you find your family. But, um, but yeah, it's important for me to stay close to my kids because it's important for me. Not that they need me as much as I need them. I value having them close. Yeah. So, yeah, um, again, I was at the label. The calls were coming in from from radio stations, not because I'm just, you know, some amazing radio person, because I'm really not an amazing radio person. I just the podcast think listener can't see the face I'm was... making. It's like, come on. <laughs> well, thank you. That's very kind of you. And I'm flattered that, you know, I got a couple calls from stations that were further away um, just because some of the stuff I can do for radio. I mean, if you if you looked at the station I came from, Joy FM St. Louis, amazing. So I got to be part of that. And yeah. you learn a lot. Yeah. I am so honored to have learned so much. So people knew that, and that's why they called. But they went, I remember um, a couple radio stations showing interest, and I'm at the label where I know I'm not serving you guys well, and I know I'm not serving God well because I have this thing I'm not doing that I know I'm supposed to be doing. And I remember... Going on, it was a rainy Nashville evening. Yeah, which was like every evening, pretty much the whole time you were there. Of last year, but it was a Sunday night, and so it was raining. So I left my phone on the kitchen table, and I was like, "I'm just gonna go on a run." So I got my dog, and I left my phone, and I'm on this run, running through this apartment complex here in Nashville, and I'm praying, and I'm like, "God." I know I'm asking a whole, whole lot here, but if you can just have some mercy, you understand my heart. My heart is really pure and wanting to keep family together. And I think it's, I think you love family too. And I think you love my kids more than I do. And I love them a whole lot. And so if it's not too much to ask, and even as I'm asking it, I'm feeling like it's a lot to ask, what would be wrong with a widow staying close to her kids, and still, I just want to serve you, and I want to serve you well. I don't know what that looks like, but maybe you show me, you know, and I'm running, and I'm crying, and I'm running, and my dog's running with me, and we're all soaking wet. I get back into the apartment, and I walk over to my phone, and I turn it over, and there's a text from a Nashville-based radio station. It's a Christian radio station. It's the program director, and it's just a text of the job description. Really? It's a job I never would have applied for because it's kind of like the cool kids radio station. And it turns out they're trying to be a little less cool. So they hired me. (laughs) But yeah, so, you know, in that raw moment with God, I did not expect that. And that's just another one of those miracles. You know, like that's... To me, that's... Yeah, most prayers don't, in my experience, have not been answered 12 minutes later. No. Yeah. No, it was more like 24 minutes because I am a terribly slow runner. <laughs> when I say I went on a run, I mean like a very slow jog where my dog is like, come on. Um, but yeah, that was a raw moment. Mm. And I I felt like it was a surrender moment. Like I'm like, God, like, you know, it's you who I want to serve. I feel like I'm being even very selfish and asking this, but 
I love my kids and they've been through a lot and they may not know they need me as much as they do. And I know I need them close. Hmm. Is it too much to ask? And there was this text and it wasn't like, oh, you have a job. It was a long journey. That was a few months before an offer came in, but I am so grateful. Like Mm -hmm. I'm close to my kids. I get to have a conversation with you about all of this. And I get to do Christian radio. Yeah. Because you're back now doing what you were doing mm-hmm. before. And and that's, yep. you know, starting to build a new show there. and Yeah, where nobody knows me. I go to the grocery store and people don't know me from Adam because this is Nashville. And everybody here is super famous. And they're not looking for the girl whose husband <laughs> passed away <laughs> like they were in the, you know, St. Louis is like the biggest small town. And everyone, really? yeah, everyone knew. So it's a big city. But it's got a small town feel, which has a lot of value. And sometimes there's a little bit of a spotlight on you, you know. Mm. So um, I love it here. And I love what I get to do. And I can continue to tell that story. But in a new way, to people who haven't heard it, you know. So, yeah, it's it's incredible. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. I mean, I know there, were, there was a season for me a few years ago where I ended up in between the job – like a big, a, sort of a big chapter of my life job and the current sort of big chapter of life job that I have now where I kind of tried some other job for a little bit and it was a just flaming disaster where I was like, well, I'm going to try something different that I've never done before. And it turns out like I can't do everything I put my mind to because like I can't do this really simple job. My brain is not wired to do it. And it was, it was so hard. I felt like such a failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you probably weren't, but there was probably a part of you that knew, I mean, we're so, purpose is really, it's ingrained in us. Hmm. You know, so it's almost like I could have, and probably did okay in that job. Yeah, no, you right? did. I definitely was a failure at this job. <laughs> See, I kind of doubt it. You're laughing about because that's how I feel about my time with the label. Like, no, I, no. I'm so sorry, guys, but I can't even understand your language. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I never said that out loud, but I would sit in meetings and go, I need to Google that later because I don't get what they mean by that. But I mean, we all we all end up in, in a situation like that at some point in our life, mm-hmm. right? Like, whether it's a job or a, some kind of relationship, some... Just something in our life, we find ourselves in a place where we go, nope, I don't know what's happening right now. This is not, I, I just don't know what to do. Yeah. And it's like, man, you just, you know, I, you're kind of praying for the next thing and waiting and you're just hoping that like you can fake it and people don't see what, <laughs> right. you know, and I thought you did an admirable job. Oh, of just, well, thank you. I, not of faking Such a great it, faker. You were very transparent about it and, and honest and, um. And it's and that way everybody gets to cheer when they when the when the job offer comes through and it's like you let everybody know we're like yeah of course way to go good oh for gosh, you like I, everyone's just like thrilled I, for you I'm like I, I thought you guys were all faking that because I'm like they they have got to be so mad at me right now I mean <laughs> no. I came here from across the country and this label so graciously helped me move and helped me I mean and put up with me going from day one I don't. The right place, oh, you know. No. Huge part of the story. I just, it's just, yeah, it's amazing. No, well, it's great. It's, it's so everyone is. I know cheering you on. Thank you a lot. But even this, like, I, I'll be, I'll be excited to see as the years go on what even what that little piece of the story becomes. Like what you've learned from it and what 
how that changes what you're doing, in, whether or not you stay in radio, but moving forward, you know, mm-hmm. like, because I think those, those, those things are really valuable. I, I, I learned probably a lot more about myself from not fitting that other job. Oh, totally. Than yeah. I would from a job where I'm a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. There's lessons you'll never learn otherwise. And they're, they suck to learn. It, it's but, hard, but you're right. Somebody asked me a month in, how are you doing with the label? I'm like, well, I'm learning a lot. And they're like, that's great. I'm like, yeah, mostly about myself. I really, I really am. Like things I can't, couldn't even go into when I was, it gets some perspective on me outside of St. Louis. And then looking back on the Kelly in St. Louis mm-hmm. and, you know, great ministry was done there, but there was a limitation to it based on my own like foundation I had there hmm. and to have my foundation rocked. By coming to a new again. place again, again, you know, and to rebuild and to rebuild correctly, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, you're right. The and and, and I did learn valuable things, j- just practical things too. Sure, I mean, I'm that. sure. Yeah, totally, totally. But I think the greatest lessons were, who am I and what am I doing? I think we should all stop and ask ourselves that. I'm not suggesting that everyone move across the country and leave their comfort zone. You know, that whole old saying about getting outside your comfort zone, not necessary. I'm going to go ahead and say, it. <laughs> but it will rock you yeah. to be outside your comfort zone and it will give you perspective on yourself. But you know, as a parent, like you look at your kids and you're like, man, I want them to just be happy and comfortable. Mm-hmm. But you'll learn so much more. You can see this from the outside. They learn so much more when they're not comfortable. Like even in the simple things of like sports, man, when you got a coach that doesn't push them, they don't win. Mm-hmm. When you got a coach that pushes them and then they're like, they come, they get in the car like, oh, I hate it. And they were, we had to run so much and the kid threw up. And I was like, <laughs> right. like, yeah, guess what? You might win this if season. If someone doesn't throw up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, so that was my you're... experience two nights ago. Everybody no, no, I've had that experience up. too with my but son. It's like, like, it's yeah. hard. It is so hard. And I, again, I mean, I remember saying that in St. Louis, I think I'm just a little too comfortable. Really? I could almost do this job in my sleep. Now, with perspective, I see where I could have done it better. I see where I could oh, have been better, yeah. you know, but at the time I just felt like, yeah, this is so easy. I, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so moving myself into not easy, really, I mean, there's growth there. Yeah. It's so valuable. So now you're, now you're back in a radio position. You're doing what you've spent a lot of years getting really good at mm-hmm. and you've got some new stories to tell. What are you bringing to this, this time that you haven't brought before? Wow. Well, I think what I haven't brought before was embracing who I am now. Like if mm. I can, if I, because who I am is who a lot of people are. We're, we're all, we're all the same. It's just, to me, radio is always about saying the thing she, our listener, who's a female in, from the radio station I'm at, um, is thinking and living, but no one else is saying. Mm. So she can say, Yes. Me too. And for me right now, you know, loneliness is a universal problem, especially for single people, but for married people too. I have a really good friend who's married who said, I, I, here's the puppy I adopted because I thought it might help with my loneliness. And I'm like, how can you be lonely? And I remember back being married and of course you can. 
Yeah. You know, you can be lonely in a crowd of people. So addressing those kinds of things are new to me. Those are the kinds of things I didn't want to address in St. Louis, you know? Mm. Yeah, this is lonely, but I'm not going to talk about that because that's so hard. And what do you what do you even do with it? Well, I think what you can do with it is you don't have the answer to it exactly, but you say, I get it. I think that's it. I think that's what it's about is saying, I get it. You're mm. worried about your kids. I get it. Mm-hmm. You know? I see you. You feel, right, I see you. And that's, to me, it's just a continuation of that, you know? Um, I didn't go through what I went through not to continue to tell some of that story, but also it is time to give back and put, you know, I had people putting their arms around me who I didn't know. And I want to do the same thing. I just, and it really begins with that. It's just about presence. It's I'm with you. You're not alone in this. If I could go on the air in every break and just say, Hey, guess what? God loves you. He's not left you. I get it. I get how you feel, (laughs) but you're not alone. Every break could be that, and it would be perfect. <laughs> you know? Why not? I, I, I would listen to that. Would you? Yeah. Even with the music we play that's female-centered? I mean, mm-hmm. not, okay. don't, don't push me too hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, but no, I think kidding. that is what that is the message we're all here to say. We're here to, we're here to send that message that you just feel alone and you feel overwhelmed. Guess what? We all do. Hmm. We all do. It takes guts to share because you can say that you can say that kind of removed of context, mm-hmm. but which then I just did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you say it without context, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, cool. That can feel like a platitude. Mm-hmm. But when you are sharing your own story mm-hmm. and then you say it, it's like, oh, no, that carries a whole lot of weight. Because you're sharing someone else's story, too. I mean, the other day I said, it's almost May and graduations are coming. You know, we're all happy. Our preschooler is graduating from preschool. Our middle schooler is graduating. You know, your kids are done with basketball for the year. We're having a party. There's a tiny part of us that gets really sad as moms and dads. Like, I just want to hold you as a baby Mm -hmm. one more time. Maybe just for one day. Maybe only Mm -hmm. for an hour. But isn't that something we all feel? I mean, there are these things we all go through that we rarely speak of. But when we speak of them, we all realize we're not alone. We're a community. We're all people. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for coming by, Kelly. This has been amazing. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Good to see you again, too. You too. Thank you, Kelly. And thank you guys for listening. Kelly has a blog at her news station that you can read at wayfm.com slash kelly. If you're in Nashville, you can hear her at 7 p.m. Central on weekdays, or you can listen through the WayFM app or stream from their website. And I love how Kelly clearly knows I don't listen to Christian radio, even though I probably should for my job. Uh, Next week, I'm going to tell you my other favorite memory of my trip to visit Compassion's work in Ecuador. You won't believe it. I actually still find it hard to believe, and it's one of the main reasons that I want you to go to Compassion.com slash The Pivot and sponsor a child today. I mean today. This is kingdom work, friends, and you will not, absolutely not, you will not regret it. Compassion.com slash The Pivot. Free a child from poverty in Jesus' name. And if you want to follow a cute kid doing cartwheels to raise money for clean water in Africa, 
you can go follow my daughter Sadie at Clean Water Cartwheels on Instagram and donate 10 cents a cartwheel or something to help her raise her goal. That would be so fun. Thank you guys for supporting her there. Uh, you can find me at andreosinga.com, everybodypivots.com. Send me an email. What has the pivot looked like in your life? It is such a treat to get these emails. Thank you guys. We'll be back next week with another incredible interview. I just can't believe I get to talk to these amazing people. And I really can't believe some of the guests that we have coming up. It is going to be amazing. Amazing. Uh, but until then, thank you for listening. And go do something awesome.